L.L. Bean has partnered with the National Park Foundation to help you find your happy place. And with more than 400 national parks, there's a good chance you'll find one close to home. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. For more than 100 years, no national memorial had been contemplated for any president except George Washington. Yet, talk of building one to honor the monumental legacy left by Abraham Lincoln began even as he lingered on his deathbed. There was an obvious appropriateness to the concept that Lincoln, the preserver of the Union, should join Washington, the founder of that Union, in being honored on the National Mall. I'm Jason Epperson, and on this episode of America's National Parks, the Lincoln Memorial, part of the National Mall and Memorial Parks in Washington, D.C. Congress passed the first of many bills establishing a commission to erect a monument for the 16th president. Sculptor Clark Mills was chosen to design the monument. His plans called for a 70-foot structure adorned with six equestrian and 31 massive pedestrian statues, crowned by a 12-foot statue of Lincoln. The project couldn't raise enough funds, and the plans went by the wayside until the start of the 20th century, when six separate bills were introduced into Congress for the incorporation of a new memorial commission. The first five were met with defeat. Remember, the country was still deeply wounded from the Civil War, and Lincoln, to many, was still derided. Nor was it American nature to deify presidents at the time. The sixth bill, introduced on December 13, 1910, passed. The Lincoln Memorial Commission had its first meeting the following year, led by President Taft. By 1913, Congress had approved of the commission's choice of design and location. Architect Henry Bacon was chosen to design the memorial. His Greek temple design was far too outrageous for some, who instead proposed a humble log cabin shrine. But Bacon prevailed. And until the late 1800s, the current site of the Lincoln Memorial did not exist, and the Washington Monument marked the shoreline of the Potomac River. When the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers deepened the river, the dredged silt deposited along its banks expanded the land to its current configuration. The reclaimed land was proposed as the site for the memorial. With congressional approval and $300,000, the project got underway. On February 12, 1914, a dedication ceremony was conducted, and the following month, the actual construction began. Work progressed steadily, according to schedule. As late as 1920, the decision was made to substitute an open portal for the bronze and glass grill which was to have guarded the entrance. Despite these changes, the memorial was finished on schedule. Commission President William H. Taft, who was then Chief Justice of the United States, dedicated the memorial on May 30, 1922, and presented it to President Warren G. Harding, who accepted it on behalf of the American people. Lincoln's only surviving son, 78-year-old Robert Todd Lincoln, was in attendance. 
The Lincoln Memorial is almost an unworldly sight. Entering its presence quite literally can make your knees weak. To talk about his first time seeing the effigy, here's Ranger Thomas Downs. The first time I visited the Lincoln Memorial, I was with my grandparents and I was 13 years old. And we'd already seen a lot of Washington, D.C. By the time we got to Lincoln Memorial, it was, um, it was just another one of the sights for me. And as I walked around the outside of the memorial, I looked up to the top and noticed all the states. I noticed Texas. Well, that's my home state. And I felt an instant connection to the Lincoln Memorial. I uh, didn't know exactly why the state of Texas was there, but I knew there had to be a good reason for it. And as we walked up into the memorial and I saw the statue of Lincoln, it all kind of uh, hit home a little bit. Um, I was 13, I didn't know a whole lot about Abraham Lincoln. What I had learned about him was uh, that he was a self-taught man, grew up in a log cabin, you know, the same thing that you learn in, in any school in America. Uh, the thing about Lincoln though was I, I realized with him, anyone can become president of the United States. And I remember that as a kid and growing up thinking, I've got the same opportunity that everybody else does. Anybody else that's been president, that can be me one day. So I made my connections to the Lincoln Memorial and I, I really enjoy helping visitors make a connection as well because everything's not right there in front of you. You have to search for a few things. The memorial's interior is divided into three chambers by two rows of four ionic columns. The north and south chambers display carved inscriptions of Lincoln's second inaugural address and the Gettysburg Address. Lying between the north and south chambers is the central hall containing the 19-foot-tall statue of Lincoln, sitting in contemplation. The statue was carved by the Piccarilli brothers, under the supervision of the sculptor Daniel Chester French. It took four years to complete, made of Georgia white marble. It weighs 175 tons and was shipped in 28 pieces. Thomas Downs again. What they can't see at the other end of the National Mall is the Ulysses S. Grant Memorial. He's up on his horse Cincinnati, very high in the air, and his eyes and Lincoln's eyes meet through the Washington Monument. It's a powerful image when you think about it. The, the two men that helped to end the Civil War are staring through the father of our country's memorial. Kind of a neat thing. And they see a president who has spent the last four years of his life trying to end the Civil War, also trying to end slavery. And so when you, you're looking at the statue of Abraham Lincoln, his hands are, are very symbolic. You have to look closely. You'll see a fist in one hand. That's his left. And then in his right hand, he has an open hand. And the fist is, shows Lincoln in action. That is Lincoln during the Civil War. He has kept his promise to defend the Union and defend the flag of the United States. The other hand is open to show that he is also a man who can forgive, and he does forgive the South, ask them to come back into the Union at the end of the Civil War. It's almost as if that open hand is there to shake the hand of the South. And as visitors stand inside the Chamber of Lincoln Memorial and they, they gaze up at the statue of Lincoln and they notice something is flowing over his chair. It's, it's not his overcoat. It's not a, a blanket. It is our American flag. The only way to notice that it is the American flag is to study that statue very closely 
And if you look just to the left of his right knee, you're going to notice a few stars in the marble. That's indicative of the flag. That's the only way you can tell you're looking at the American flag. That could be seen as a, a disrespectful thing by some. But when you think about what he did to save the flag, to wage war upon his own country, to uphold the union he promised to protect, it makes perfect sense. And it's such a great symbol to see him seated on that flag because he himself became a victim of the American Civil War. The memorial is full of symbolic elements. The 36 columns represent the states of the Union at the time of Lincoln's death. The 48 stone festoons above the columns represent the 48 states in 1922. With more, here's Ranger Robert Healy Jr. Lincoln is perhaps the one president who historians have written the most about. There seems to be a new book every month, some years. And yet, each time a new layer of Lincoln is exposed. And his memorial is the same. For example, most visitors will never see that the frieze with the names of the 36 states at the time of his presidency has intertwining northern laurel and longleaf pine. And those are symbols of unity. The whole memorial was designed to convey that impression. It's a small detail, perhaps, but something you might overlook on your first visit. But as you enter the memorial, there's more of that. Lincoln is portrayed as a common man. He's not standing like a great military leader, the commander-in-chief during the greatest civil war. No, he's seated in common clothing. The frock coat, the brogans, typical of what he wore as a frontier attorney and seated as a statesman, contemplating what the war was really about. And that's captured in his addresses that Henry Bacon, the architect, put on the walls, too. The murals done by Jules Guerin are often overlooked because their colors are muted. They're not bright or strident neon colors in the oil paint on the canvas. Instead, Henry Bacon had directed Jules Guerin to subtly interpret Lincoln's virtues as the President of the United States, above his most significant addresses, the Gettysburg and the Second Inaugural. Guerin did it in several ways. He was a symbolist painter. He used neoclassical forms. He used the Angel of Truth on each side, above each of the addresses, in a symmetrical form, to suggest different things. On the south side, the angel of truth is breaking the bonds of slaves on her left and right. And those groups of slaves might represent liberty and freedom. Over in the corner, you have the angel of law. And behind her stand the guardians of the law bearing the torches of intelligence. The seated sibyls in the foreground of that image are attorneys, like Lincoln, interpreters of the Constitution. On the opposite side of the angel of truth, in the Emancipation Mural, you have the Angel of Immortality, and she's surrounded by figures that represent faith, hope, and charity. Immortality is referenced in other subtle ways. On the side of Immortality's chair is a large vessel, an amphora in ancient times, that might have held olive oil or wine. Cardiologists now 
suggest, as the ancients did, that he who has wine and oil, and perhaps in greater moderation than classic times, might live a longer life. But immortality is there in another way. On either side of the angel of truth in the central grouping, you find tree trunks. Most visitors will miss them because there are no branches, no leaves, no obvious formation of a tree there. But eucalyptus was chosen by Jules Guerin because regardless of what you do to that tree, if you chop it down, if you burn it, if you hit it with a vehicle, it will still sprout again from its roots. When the Lincoln Memorial was dedicated in 1922, the United States, although torn by the Civil War, felt unified as never before. Citizens of the North and South had fought together in a world war now. They had shared the bloodshed and then the victory. As a result, the dedication ceremony celebrated, even reveled in the message of unity proclaimed by this memorial. Yet as the ceremony exalted one thing, it largely overlooked another. Aside from the Union veterans and the soldiers section, those attending the 1922 dedication ceremony were segregated along racial lines. The memorial would continue to echo truths about America's racial relations throughout the years. And Ranger Gilbert Lyons lived through much of it. I grew up in D.C., decided to join the military as a young man. And then the Korean War started, and I was sent to Korea in 1952. But as we were going over there, me and some old friends of mine, we were all Negroes, and the guys would say, wow, man, this is really something. We go into war to fight for someone else's freedom and don't have any freedom ourselves back home. I was with the 2nd Infantry Division. The division, it was the one that had the most casualties of the war itself. And I do have two Purple Hearts from that part of the war. But as the war went on, I was wounded and was sent to Japan. And while I was there, the Japanese people treated me just like I was supposed to be, a human being. Tour duty was up in Korea, and we were sent back to America. When we docked, a friend of mine, as we walked off the ship, he said, it's good to be back in America. All of us were feeling great to be back home again. That morning, they picked us up, put us on the buses, and took us up to Richmond, California. It's early in the morning, I guess about 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock. We walked in, and guys were sitting around eating, so we, as a bunch, we sat down at a table. And we waited for the waitress to come, so we were hollering, waitress, waitress. And the young ladies, they just walked around like we wasn't there. And that's when a friend of mine said, whoa, we are back in America again. Here, just like it was when we left, a so-called second-class citizen. And it actually brought tears to my eyes and the friends that I was with. That was the hardest part, coming back home. You go overseas to fight for someone else's freedom and you come back home. was none there at all for you, and it was a hard thing. Now I got a family myself, so I'm carrying the kids around the memorials because I had to take them because I was there when my family took me when I was a young man. So my first memorial we went to was Lincoln Memorial. I heard a lot about Lincoln Memorial when I was in school. And I really, now I'm an adult, I want to see what this is really about. So we climbed the steps, my two children, 
and we go into the chamber. And to me, it really hit me really hard because at that time, this country was still segregated. And what I read about this man is saying that every man is created equal. And when I turn around and look and I say, oh, no, this can't be true because my country is not treating me as equal as everyone else here. You know, and that was a hard thing for me to stomach. There was a young man I heard about, this young person called Martin Luther King, really pushing civil rights. And I had never seen the gentleman. I've only heard him speak through tapes that other people had. But one day, I come to find out that this young preacher was going to come and stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. So I decided to take off that day. And I rushed down to the Lincoln Memorial to get me a seat down front because I really wanted to see him. But as the crowd grew, I didn't care because I'm down front and I'm going to be able to see this man speak. And as he spoke, the words flowed out of his mouth just like honey. I can just imagine how Lincoln felt when he was up at Gettysburg making his speech. And as today, I really saw something that I never figured I would never see, an African-American being president of this great country. I never thought I'd see it. I'm in my 70s, and I figured I'd be long gone from this earth, and maybe my children would see it coming, but I'm here. And now I am really proud to be American. I am proud of my country. They tried to silence Lincoln by assassinating him. It didn't work. Martin Luther King went out there and he spoke and they tried to silence him. And what happened? The word got louder and louder. And you can see now the country is pulling themselves together. And at the moment, I'm trying to hold back these tears because I am very happy. I have gone through hell for my country and they told me you are nothing but now I've come to find out I am something and I think that's all I'm going to have to see yes that's it Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech is clearly the most memorable event to happen at the Lincoln Memorial one of the most important events in American history But years before, in 1939, singer Marian Anderson was denied the right to perform at Constitution Hall by the Daughters of the American Revolution because of her color. Instead, at the urging of Eleanor Roosevelt, she was permitted to perform at the Lincoln Memorial in front of a crowd of thousands, including President Franklin Roosevelt. Anderson, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Dr. King are all set to appear on the back of the newly redesigned $5 bill, which should be printed in the coming years. Lincoln will continue to grace its front.
This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by LL Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.